Welcome to the Thurfield Chapel Sermon Podcast. Good morning. Welcome. Uh, my name's Paul. I serve as part of the leadership team here as a pastor at Thurfield Chapel. And we're continuing our series in Luke uh, this morning. Luke, as we've been considering, uh, has been written to demonstrate that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of all God's plans, His promises from the very beginning, His purpose, that the blessing of His presence extend over the whole earth. Uh, so with that in mind, let us pray as we come uh, to look a bit further at the passage we've just read. Uh, Father, we thank You that in Christ, Lord, we can experience the blessing uh, of Your presence, uh, and we pray that we would know that uh, more. Thank you that we have that opportunity to experience something of that as we gather together, but that we would, we would know that more and more, Lord, as we spend time uh, meditating, looking further at this passage now, uh, that we would know uh, your power to change and to transform us, Lord, to live our lives that reflect Christ more and more. <clears throat> Amen. So do you know uh, that, that irritation, that pain of having a pebble in your shoe? Yep, yep, you're off for a walk and you feel something there. And maybe you think, I'm just going to keep going for a little bit because it's a bit of a faff taking these laces off. Maybe I'm not in an appropriate place to take my shoe off. It's a bit muddy. And you go for a little bit, but that pain and that irritation, it builds and it builds and it builds and so eventually you stop, take your shoe off, and you just cast that offending item away. And that's all well and good when it's a stone in your shoe that is making your walk difficult. But what about when it's a person, or when it's a group of people that are making your Christian walk difficult? They become irritants. It's painful. When it comes to a pebble in your shoe, you can just throw that to one side. When it comes to people, Jesus doesn't give us that option. We're to move toward them. And in this challenging teaching of Jesus, as he says, love your enemies. Now we are to move towards others, not casting them aside. How, how do we do this? This isn't an easy teaching. Now, who are these enemies that we're to move toward? How, how should we move towards them? How can we move towards them in love? Those are some of the questions that we're going to be considering this morning as we look further at this question of how to love our enemies. And our passage this morning, it continues on from what we were looking uh, last week. There's a large crowd that has gathered around Jesus uh, amongst them are the newly appointed 12 apostles. Then there's this larger group of disciples. Uh, and then this larger group of people who've come from the surrounding areas. Some who've traveled quite a significant distance we saw last week. And these people have come to be healed and to hear Jesus. People want to know, now, what's this buzz? What's this thing? Who is this person that we keep hearing about? There's this increase in interest and popularity about Jesus, but we've also seen there's an increase in hostility, this growing hostility. So uh, back in verse 11, and do you know, have Bible journals or 
Bibles or phones or whatever uh, on and open. Have a look at verse 11. Uh, we saw the other week how there's this growing opposition toward Jesus. Uh, a number of religious leaders are beside themselves with fury because Jesus, he doesn't fit into their structures. He's not fulfilling their expectations. And so they start discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. They're concocting these plans. And we've got this context then of this growing hostility. And Jesus delivers this sermon, this sermon to his disciples and for those who are listening. So as we considered last week, the context of this extended sermon that we're reading here in chapter 6 is a sermon about discipleship in the context of growing opposition. So it's about discipleship in the context of growing opposition. This is Jesus teaching. What does it mean to live uh, as a disciple, as one of his disciples? So it's not about how you enter into God's kingdom. It's how you live as citizens of God's kingdom. It's about living as a disciple. And it's in this context of this growing hostility. What's it mean to live as a disciple in this context of growing hostility? Uh, And last week we saw that the message of Jesus being don't compromise in times of difficulty, in times of hardship, when it's hard to follow Jesus because you're facing this opposition, don't compromise, Jesus says. Don't make these alliances to try and make life easier. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the have-not, not those who are seeking to make themselves rich and secure. Don't compromise. Don't try and make these unholy alliances, Jesus said. And now Jesus goes on to say, but neither go on the attack. Don't attack your enemies. Instead, love them. So once again, here, knowing the context for us, it is important so that we don't misapply this passage. This is Jesus' words on discipleship in the context of growing opposition. A misapplication of this passage would be to teach. If you are suffering some form of abuse, you need to suffer that silently. That would be a misapplication of this passage. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's something that you are experiencing. You know, if, if you are experiencing some form of abuse, you don't need to suffer silently. Now, you can come uh, and you can talk to me. We have a safeguarding team here. Uh, And you can come and you can talk to me. You don't have to suffer silently. But let's face it, maybe speaking to a man, maybe speaking to someone in a position of leadership could be a trigger. Speaking to a pastor. Maybe you've suffered abuse in a family relationship, in a marriage, maybe even in a church context, unfortunately. And so, yes, whilst you could come to speak to me, Uh, We also have others on the team. You could speak to one of the elders, but there are women that you could speak to, to Joe and to Kim. Their details are on on the back there as you come through on the glass door. We also have details on the reverse of toilet doors so that you can speak to people if you have concerns. Maybe you have concerns about me. Maybe you have concerns about leadership here. We want to be transparent here at Thurfield Chapel. We want to be accountable. You don't have to suffer silently. There are people you can talk to, and you can make a note of their details without anyone 
observing you. You don't have to suffer silently. If someone teaches from this passage that you are to suffer abuse silently, it's probably a form of abuse. That is not the context of this passage. The context of this passage is how do we, as disciples, as the church of Christ, how should we live, how should we we respond as we face opposition, hostility for following Christ? Now, of course, we can apply the, the truths of this passage to a whole myriad of situations. We're going to focus in specifically on that same context in which we read this passage. How do we here as Thurfield Chapel, as Christians, how do we respond as we face hostility for following Christ? And it may be something, you know, that we're going to experience more and more in the years to come. As we encounter enemies, people who are our enemies because we follow Christ, how should we respond to them? How should we love them. Two aspects we're going to consider this morning, uh, and that's how we are to love, what that love looks like, and how we can love. So how we are to love, loving as God loves, is what we're going to look at uh, under that title. And then how can we do it loving from God's love? So we're going to begin loving as God loves. Have a look then. Verse 27, but to you who are listening. So Jesus is saying to those no, who are listening, those who've taken on board this message about living as disciples in the face of hostility. He's already said, don't compromise. You who have taken that message on board, now Jesus says, I'm, I'm teaching you something in addition to that. Verse 27, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. Don't repay wrong for wrong. Don't treat people as they have mistreated you. You don't pay people back in that way. They treated me this way, so I'm going to treat them that way. You don't treat people in the way they've treated you. What do we read? Verse 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. Don't do to others as they've done to you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So, when they hate you, do good to them. When they curse you, bless them. When they ill-treat you, pray for them. It's not a matter of not just returning evil for evil, but actively do good. Actively move towards that person. Jesus goes on to say, verse 29, If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coats, do not withhold your shirt from them. And to be slapped on the cheek was a public insult. It would often occur with the back of the hand. You get slapped with the back of someone's hand, and that is to say that you are inferior to me. Basically, you are scum. It was this huge public insult, and so serious was it that actually in Middle Eastern culture, you could take someone to court. You could kind of sue someone for doing that to you. But what does Jesus say? He says, well, well, don't sue them. If someone slapped you on your cheek, you turn to them the other also. 
And it doesn't mean that that is done immediately at that point of time. It's not that you stand there like some sort of slap bag being slapped and slapped and slapped. Because in John's gospel and Jesus' trial, when Jesus is slapped, he doesn't physically turn the other cheek. What Jesus is saying here is that to turn the other cheek is to say, I am going to continue to move toward this person, even if they're going to respond in exactly the same way. Even if they're going to respond by publicly humiliating and shaming me, I'm still going to move toward them. And that's what we see Jesus doing. As people reject him, he moves towards them. That's what we see you know, in the Acts of the Apostles. Jesus' grace coming to the very people, this message being extended again to the very people who rejected him. The apostles standing before the Sanhedrin, the very people who condemned Jesus to death. Turning over the other cheek, moving towards those people who've rejected, who've publicly shamed us. And Jesus goes on to say, if anyone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. That that could be a literal case. We see something of that maybe in the letter to the Hebrews. But once again, this is a picture. Now, if someone takes your coat, this item of protection, if your coat has been taken away and you've lost this level of protection, Jesus says, once again, move towards your enemies, even at the risk of losing your shirt, even at the risk of losing more. Elizabeth Elliot, she was a missionary in South America. And her husband, Jim Elliot, he was working with a number of other missionaries uh, seeking to reach this uh, unreached native tribe uh, in, in Ecuador. Now, in 1956, Jim Elliot and four of the missionaries that he was working with were speared to death uh, by locals in that tribe. And Elizabeth is left as a widow in the Ecuadorian jungle with a 10-month-old daughter. And she stays in that place for a number of years, seeking to, to serve and minister to the group that she's with. And then an opportunity arises for her to go and work with another tribe. And so strapping her then three-year-old daughter to her back, she sets off to go and bring the gospel message to another group of people, to another tribe, to the very tribe that had murdered her husband. Now, in time, a number of people turned from that tribe to Christ. Uh, and there's a great change and there's a transformation. And in fact, uh, this guy here uh, on the far right of that picture uh, was one of the tribesmen who had speared a number of those missionaries. But at this time, Elizabeth doesn't know any of this. She doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. Having lost her husband, she moves toward the very people who had taken her husband from her at the risk of losing her and her daughter's life. If someone slaps you on your cheek, Jesus says, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Jesus' command 
for us as disciples to love our enemies, to move towards others, even when it has already cost us dearly. Jesus goes on to say in verse 30, Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Now remember, this is in the context of loving our enemies, you know, those who persecute us, who make our life difficult for following Christ. So teenagers, sorry, this isn't a passage that you can use to your parents and say, I need a new mobile phone. Because, uh, you know, Jesus says, give to everyone who asks of you, I'm asking for a new phone. You can't use that one. Can't play that one. Here, Jesus isn't saying, you know, just give regardless of need. Sometimes giving to people what they want and what they ask for can be harmful. Sometimes giving what people ask for can be harmful. This isn't saying give regardless of need. In the context, Jesus is teaching here, give regardless of relationship. I mean, let's face it, there are some people in life who can be scroungers and they seek to live off the charity of others. And in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says to the church, you know, don't support those people. Don't support the idle scroungers. So in the wider context of Scripture, and in the immediate context of this passage, we see that this isn't teaching us, you know, if someone says, I want something, that you are obligated just to give it to them like some sort of human dispensary machine. This isn't saying give regardless of need. Sometimes there is a discernment that's needed there. It's saying give regardless of relationship. And so if there is a genuine need that someone has, and if you are in a position to help them, do not refuse them because they've mistreated you in the past. That is the context of what Jesus is saying here. When there's a genuine need and you are in our position to help, don't withhold that help because they've treated you badly in the past. Give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Not regardless of need, regardless of relationship. Don't just give to a friend. No, give to an enemy. And so if that co-worker who makes your life difficult because you're a Christian suddenly finds himself in a predicament, and for some reason they need then someone to, to cover their work shift, now then be the first in line to volunteer. If someone at school mocks you for going to church, and then they find themselves struggling in a certain subject, be the first to come alongside them and help. If that neighbor who badmouths the church suddenly finds himself in a position of need and they need to get to the hospital, then be the person to drive them to the hospital. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Now, don't go in with this attitude of, well, if, if I'm nice and kind to them, uh, I'll do this so that they'll stop being nice and kind to me. Because they, they may not. Now, they may continue to, to just <clears throat> dismiss what it is that you say and what it is that you do. Don't go in and say, I'll, 
I'll be kind and I'll help you in this situation, but you need to come to me, come with me to church next Sunday. You know, continue to move toward them, even when it's costly, even when they reject it, even when your charity is met with scorn. Because Jesus says, verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Now, in 1933, Hitler introduced the law for the encouragement of marriage. And so if you were newly married, you got given uh, a thousand marks uh, of finance. And uh, it was an interest-free loan. For every child that you had, you got to keep a quarter of that amount. Now, considering what the average wage was in 1933, we're talking about being offered something along the lines of £28,000 uh, as an interest-free loan. And then for every child that you have, you get to keep £7,000. This is a generous amount of money that is being offered. Why is it that Hitler was giving this money away? Because he wanted to build the Aryan race, the Aryan population. This was part of his plan. It was part of his strategy. It may have been an interest-free loan. It may have eventually turned out to be a grant if you had enough children. But it was given with an expected return. It was part of fulfilling his plan, his evil and wicked plan. It seemed to be something that was generously given. I mean, Hitler could be generous when it served his own diabolical needs. Jesus said, verse 34, if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? And we could add, even Hitler did that. And I think we'd all agree that the standard of righteousness that we're called to is greater than that of Hitler. See, even the most wicked and vile people can move towards others when it suits their own need, when it suits their own agenda. But as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to something that is much, much higher. So in verse 35, Jesus says, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked, not because he gets anything out of it. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, because that is who he is. And for us to, to love in that manner, for us to reflect that, we're told, is to be children of the Most High, is to share in God's likeness. And again, we need to remember the context of this passage. These are words that are delivered to disciples. This is not about how you become part of God's kingdom. This is how you live as citizens of God's kingdom. This isn't about how you become a child of God. This is how you live as a child of God. 
Because have a look at verse 36, what Jesus concludes by saying. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And notice how this command, in this command, Jesus identifies God as your Father. The relationship comes first. It's not that the command leads to the relationship. The relationship comes first. The relationship is there. The relationship of being a child of God. Therefore, be merciful as your Father is merciful. He's already your Father. Jesus is talking to disciples. So that's why verse 35, it isn't saying that loving our enemies earns us the right to become children of God. It doesn't make us children of God. As Andrew was reading, there's a slight slip-up in his reading, but I think it was quite a helpful slip-up. He's saying something along the lines of, you will be known to be children of God. That, that's really what this passage is saying in that context. It's not that loving our enemies is going to make us children of God. We don't work our way into God's family. But rather, as disciples, if we are those who are God's children, then as we love our enemies, we are reflecting that family likeness. Because that is what God is like. He is one who is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. It's who God is. It's what God is like. And it is the character of God that gives us hope. It is the character of God that then empowers us to live and to love in this manner. As we see uh, what it means to love our enemies, what does this look like to to love as God loves? Really the big question is, well, how can we do this? How can we love in this manner? The love that we read of here is, in many ways, it's ridiculous. This isn't something that we would naturally think up. It's not something that we normally do. This isn't a smart objective that you would get in work. You know, the smart thing when you get smart objectives is, let's just find something that I'm either already doing or is easily within my ability to do in the next few weeks. Jesus isn't giving smart objectives. This is something that is beyond our ability to do. So how do we love in this manner? And our reason for hope is the character of God. How do we love in this way? Well, this is about loving from God's love. Verse 35 again. Love your enemies. Do good to those. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And the whole reason that we have these words, the whole reason ultimately that Jesus is speaking these words, is because of the compassionate mercy of God. Because when we rejected God as humanity, when we rejected Him, when we rebelled, when we embraced the lie that God is the enemy who's against us, that God is ungracious, that God is unloving, that God is stingy, that God is holding humanity back, 
that God is out to cause us harm, when we embrace that lie, when we propagated that lie, when we drag God's name through the dirt, in effect, humanity slapped God in the face. And we set up our own kingdom. And how does God respond in that moment? He moves towards us. He turns the other cheek. And God moves towards us by entering into our world, by becoming one of us. And Jesus Christ, he moves towards us, the one who is fully shared in our humanity. And as Jesus comes to us and he moves towards us, he doesn't come in the the, the pomp and the power of a king who's surrounded by armies. He comes in the vulnerability of a servant. Only to, to be slapped in the face physically. He turns the cheek to be rejected again. And Jesus has his coat literally taken from him. His shirt is gambled as he hangs naked on the cross. And God gave his only son. Jesus gave his life, but he didn't do it with this ulterior motive. God doesn't give as a means of, of selfish gain. God doesn't give because he's trying to just get something from us. Because let's face it, there is nothing that we can give him. God has everything. He doesn't give because he has a need to get something. God gives so that he can give even further. God gave his son, Christ gave his life so that God could give further, that he could give us the forgiveness of sins, so that he could give us the adoption to sonship, so that he could give us eternal life. God gives so that we might receive, so that we might receive life in him. God is the generous giver. And this is something of the good news of the gospel. And maybe you've, when you, when you hear of the gospel and you hear of Jesus, sometimes you think it is just this list of commands that we need to follow. And if we do enough good things, then God will, God will accept us. That is not the gospel message. That is not what, what Jesus teaches. But that God has moved towards us even when we're not worthy, even when we're not deserving. He gives himself to us. He gives himself to us. And so that we might receive him. And it's given as a gift. Not because we've, we've earned it. Not because we deserve it. But because of his love. Because he is merciful. Because he is one who moves towards us even whilst we were enemies. And the good news of the gospel is not simply uh, that Christ died for our sins so that we might be forgiven. It is not less than that, but it is not simply that. But the good news of the gospel includes the message that God has given us His Holy Spirit in Christ. God gives, God gives, and He gives, and He gives, and He gives again. And he gives us his life that we might be changed and that we might be transformed. We are not called to love like God aside from God. 
We are not called to love like God aside from God. We are not to reflect God's likeness you know, out of the resources of ourselves, out of our own strength. The moon. Think about it. The moon reflects the sun's light, not by seeking to emulate that light, but by sharing in it. Yeah? The moon reflects the sun's light, not by trying to emulate it, but by sharing in it. God gives to us that we might share in his life. That in Christ, we are given the spirit that we might share in his life. We're not to love out of our own finite resources. We cannot love out of our own finite resources. What Jesus calls us to here, this command of discipleship, it is beyond our ability to do. We are not to love out of our own finite resources. But we are empowered to love out of the infinite resource of God's very being, of who He is. In Christ, He has given us His Spirit. And who is God? God is the one who is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. God is merciful. And in His mercy... He has given, and He has given, and He has given, and He has given us Christ, that we might receive Christ, that we might receive forgiveness, that we might receive the gift of the Spirit, that we might share in His life, and that we too then might extend the same mercy and this love and compassion to others, even to those who are our enemies, to those who mistreat us. And so Jesus says, we can then do good to those who hate us. We can bless those who curse us. We can pray for those who ill-treat us. Because he's not left us to our own resources. This is who God is. And in Christ, we can share in that life too. Let's pray. Father, this is a difficult passage. This is a difficult command for us. And we don't want to make light of that. Lord, help us to not reduce this command to something that, that seems within our own ability to grasp and our own ability to do. Well, but that we would see more and more, you know, this coming week, or in the weeks that lie ahead, the immensity of this command, that really the, the craziness and the impossibility of this command, as we do so, that we would be amazed and staggered. Lord, that this is because this is who you are, that we would see more of your great love and your mercy. Lord, and then as we are challenged, that we would be encouraged Lord, to see and to know or that we... We can live this way, Lord, because that is who you are, and you have not left us alone. You have given us, Lord, your spirit. Lord, and so please, you know, deepen our dependence upon you. Lord, may our, may our gaze be set more clearly on Christ. 
Lord, and empower us by your Spirit. Lord, to know, to know more, to know more of the depths of your love and to show more of the depths of your love and your mercy and your compassion and your grace. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or would like prayer relating to anything you've just heard, then please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. You can do so by emailing us using hello at thurfieldchapel.org or fill in the contact form on our website or send us a message on social media. Thank you again. and Please do join us next week online or in Thurfield itself at one of our services or events. We would be delighted to welcome you. God bless.